Welcome to the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast. What's up, guys? I'm Courtney Bishop, your high performance coach and host of the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast. In each episode, we share insights around the topics of movement, meditation, mindfulness, and nutrition to help you show up at your highest potential daily. I provide solo casts to share tools I use with clients, as well as host inspirational guests who have taken the time to pursue what makes them come alive. Here we are, episode 33, an interview with Stephen Lowe, who has absolutely pioneered and poured himself into understanding how to progress via bodyweight training optimally and has made this super accessible to others which you will learn all about his work within the show. My goal with this episode is to help bodyweight and barbell training enthusiasts alike learn how you can benefit from a combo of these training styles for a lifetime. All right, welcome to the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast, Steve. Thank you. Uh, I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Likewise, I um, am really glad that we connected and Uh, have this opportunity. I came across your work back in 2019, I believe it was. So a little bit about my story uh, before we dive into you. So I experienced an injury through powerlifting and was very limited in the type of training I was able to do. Um, It was a labral tear. So you're probably familiar with those being a physical therapist. the recovery was very slow. It was in my hip, wasn't able to go into like deep hip flexion and just, yeah, couldn't really do much. So I found body weight training. I actually believe I found you through Reddit, through your, um, the, the Reddit thread overcoming gravity and decided to grab the book and kind of dive into this world that I wasn't really familiar with and see, what ways are there that I actually can move my body rather than focusing on the limitations? So, yeah. Common story after getting injured. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So I'd love to dive into your background, learn a little bit more about how you got into body weight training. Um, I know that you have a background in gymnastics. So was that something that you got into at an early age and, and why gymnastics? Yeah, my parent, my dad, actually, he went to the, the University of Maryland in the 70s and he did Gymkhana, which is still there. Um, and they're basically an exhibitional gymnastics troupe that promotes drug-free and alcohol-free living. Um, they go around the schools performing and um, he had done that. So then when he had me, he wanted to put me into gymnastics, uh, basically when I was early age, I think four or five around there. Um, so I, I did it through up through about 11 years old. Um, but then I stopped, but then uh, when I got to college, I was like, Oh, maybe I can, uh, go check out Jamkana as well. So why did you stop just like due to lack of passion and just wanted to explore more life as a kid or was there an injury? Yeah. I, so I, was playing some other sports at the time. Um, I, I did some baseball and eventually got into golf and some other things, but, um, I, I, I didn't necessarily have an injury, but I did have like 
a, a crazy freak out moment over like uh, vaulting and floor where I was like landing in crazy positions. So um, tried to get over for a while, but then I was like, okay, maybe it's not worth it to continue if I'm not like super passionate about it. Um, at least uh, going to like competition level for all around. Um, so uh, that was part okay. of the, my decision as well. Yeah. Gymnastics is a very mental sport. I, um, did not get to like competing, but I think I trained up to level four, which is really not that advanced, but still you kind of start to get a taste in it. Um, and it can be intimidating when you start surrounding yourself with those more advanced skills that you have to really trust in your mind before you just start throwing them. Um, what level did you get to compete up to? Um, they had the class system back in my day. So I guess translated, um, is like class four or something, uh, translated. It's like, uh, probably like level eight or something like that. Um, okay. um, but eventually it would, Jim can, I got up to some level nine, level 10 stuff. Um, oh yeah. And then also like Simone Biles is a great example of, you have to have your mental game on. Otherwise you're just going to yes. freak out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love that you brought her up. I just bought a poster of her to put in, um, the gym my boyfriend owns because she's super badass and setting a wonderful example of prioritizing your mental health. Cause the game is so mental, right? Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I totally hear you on the that's the same reason I exited gymnastics too, is it was getting a little bit too intense and yeah. So I completely understand that. Um, what, what drove that passion in college to kind of dive back into that arena? Yeah. Um, I actually didn't think of it that much. I thought it was be like a good activity to get back into, um, maybe like, cause I, I was, I guess pretty sedentary. I mean, I play, play golf, but it's not like uh, super physical unless you're like really good and need to train to, you know, hit the ball longer and things like that. Um, so yeah. I, I was like super out of shape, uh, very inflexible. So it, it was a good way to get back into, um, just using my body and, um, pretty fun. Cause you know, there were some things I like to like, I like to do rings and the pommel horse. Uh, those were two of my favorites. So, I was able to practice those, um, more than if I had been doing, um, competitive where you have to like train all, all the different ones. Uh, so you were only practicing certain events in the college, uh, setting. Yeah. And there's a, they have a more diverse uh, amount of things as well. They do, um, things like balancing on ladders, on chairs, um, partner balancing, um, double mini trampoline. Um, there's a lot of different other things that they do for performance rather than, you know, just like the strict training of the six men's events or, uh, four women events in gymnastics. Ah, interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, that's super cool. Um, and I love that you brought it up that it was a great way to just like kind of get yourself back into a good conditioned state. Cause I always tell friends who have kids, like, get your child into gymnastics. It's a wonderful way to just build up their foundation and like all realms of life, the mental strength, the physical strength, um, just overall proprioception, understanding how to move their body in space. So yeah, that's. Yeah. And, and I've found that it has a good transference to just many other sports as well. Um, it's, it's probably the one of the one of the better ones that has, um, transference out, but transference out to other things. Um, but 
you can also, I mean, just doing a diverse amount of uh, sports as well gives you that foundation. Um, like I, I remember reading some studies that show like most of the elite performers in like, you know, pro sports played two or three sports in high school. So, so they didn't like specialize early. Yeah, that's a really great point too. Um, because of the, the repetition of going through like the same movement patterns all the time can actually lead to injury for not creating that like structural balance in the body by, you know, twisting and jumping and landing and uh, just moving our body in all the ways that our body is able to move. <laughs> yeah. It gets the, gets the, teaches the brain a lot more movements and um, especially gymnastics, like safely falling for the most part, uh, yeah. obviously there's some injuries, but um, the, the sports that teach you to safely fall um, like martial arts, gymnastics, generally, um, you know, as long as you're not getting like an acute injury, like a, a sprained ankle will, will teach you good patterns to avoid injury. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, so I know, so gymnastics was a large part of your background. I know you also got into parkour and, uh, climbing. So I want to dive into those. Um, was the parkour like indoor parks? Was it like outdoor, like tree running and climbing? I've heard of that kind of stuff. So I'm curious. Yeah, it, it was a variety. Um, so I later in college, I got into it and uh, was uh, friends with a lot of the American parkour guys. Um, so that, that was like the, I guess the main association. It's, I think it's still the main one. Um, and they were based out of uh, Primal Fitness in uh, Washington, D.C., which is pretty close to Maryland, um, pretty much. So I, I was able to go down there a bunch. And um, you, generally, um, this was like the early days of parkour right before it kind of got big and similar with like Ninja Warrior. So okay. we were just <laughs> we were just go exploring the environment. So like we would go around the college campus looking for ways to, you know, practice different, uh, movements, uh, such as like wall climbs, um, the vaults over different objects and learning to how to move efficiently, um, through an environment or, um, maybe in, even in a complex way so that, um, you can learn those harder movements and then apply it, um, to move better, um, sim more simply as well. Mm, gotcha. Um, and then what about climbing? Was that like bouldering or what type of climbing did you get into? Yeah, th this was after college. Um, so I had been progressively strength training for uh, probably six, seven, eight years now. Um, what actually one of the um, people I coached in Jim Canna was one of the persons who invited me to go climb with them one time. And then uh, I, I kind of just took it up from there. Um, <laughs> I, I was a little tired of training like gymnastics in a way because it, it is drilling a lot of repetitive movements over time to, you know, perfect them specifically. And then you, you know, learn a harder variation usually of that. Um, mm -hmm. whereas climbing has a lot more diversity in the specific skill set, um, especially, um, at the current level you're at, um, there's always a little bit more to learn. There's different types of holds. Um, there's different types of climbs like, um, overhang straight up, um, and, and so on. So, um, I, I like the diverse, complexity of being able to do it from like beginning to uh, basically uh, elite level. Okay. And then was that like in climbing gyms or was it outdoor? 
Yeah, yeah. For the first probably four or five years, I mainly bouldered in the gym. Um, I, r- I rarely climb on ropes. Um, but um, after uh, probably the fourth year, I was started. Uh, I started to get out more. Um, I, I went like once the first four years, and was like, eh, I don't like it that much because um, <laughs> it, it, it's totally different thing um, than yeah, different on environment. The plastic in gym, yeah. Um, there, it, it's a lot more technical, like the, the feet chips are like smaller. Um, mm. you have to figure out where to put your body parts. And since there are no like specific holds, you can pretty much use anything. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like uh, when you go to the climbing gym, they have like the routes labeled and stuff for you, at least when you're, uh, climbing vertically. Um, but when you're outside, it's like, it's a little more real. You have to do all the problem solving yourself. You're not like, Oh, go follow the the red route or whatever. So yeah. <laughs> I imagine it's, um, a lot more mentally demanding, I'm sure. Yeah. And like, even if you can see how somebody did it on like a video, you can, you might have to like, if you can't do it that way, you might have to figure out a different way to do it. So, um, that, that problem solving process, um, that's one of the things I, I really like about it. Right. Yeah. Cause like everyone's limb length is different and mobility ability is different to be able to like really reach. And, uh, so that totally makes sense. I can, I, I understand the, um, draw for people who are into bouldering and climbing the adventure, like outdoorsy type, how it can really just provide a different, um, challenge than something that's maybe a little bit more predictable, like strength training inside. So, uh, you mentioned that you were strength training, um, throughout college. And then as you got into these other passions, like bouldering and, um, what was the other one? I just blinked parkour (laughs) parkour. Thank you. Um, so had you, I guess what I'm, what I'm curious about is like, was that the only type of supplemental training you were doing was just like resistance training with barbells at that time? Um, no, I, I was actually doing gymnastics slash bodyweight strength training from the start. Um, I, I have used barbells before, um, like I've used deadlifts, uh, in, in program and like I've tried some overhead presses and uh, squats before, but, um, m- most of my training has been purely uh, bodyweight, um, from the, the start uh, till even now. Um, but I, I oh, do okay. throw in some different, uh, exercises. Um, like right now I, I don't strength train specifically to like get stronger at things. I train strength train to supplement my climbing. So it looks a little bit different than if you were, were training like body weight fitness type things. Okay. So was there, just like not an appeal to you to, for the barbells or why just the, the body weight training? Um, I, so that, that's an interesting question. It honestly never really occurred to me, but like thinking about it over the, the years, um, I've seen more transference from body weight exercises to barbell than vice versa, at least, um, with those I've trained who come from a body weight or a barbell background, um, to body weight. Um, so like, uh, for instance, um, when I was able to do, uh, eight freestanding handstand pushups, I was able to overhead press my body weight for, I, I tried, like I said, a five and it was pretty easy. So like 
um, pre pretty good transference over there. But um, if you take somebody who can, you know, press their body weight overhead, uh, you know, five to eight times, are they going to be able to do it? Handstand push up? Uh, probably not because <laughs> of the balance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that example because I, um, when I got into bodyweight training, like I said, I had previously been involved in barbell training. And I remember being like, okay, this is going to be easier or like less intense and better for my body. But um, it's so intense. You can make yeah. it so intense, right? By the, the leverage, um, your body becomes the tool rather than using additional resistance like barbells to, to change the intensity. Um, and I remember feeling like how deeply in my body that strength was, it was like, I was building strength to my core when I was doing bodyweight training compared to when I was doing barbell training, I was really hitting like those prime movers, those bigger muscles, more like superficial, but the deeper like stability muscles, it felt like I could kind of brute strength my way through say like an overhead press or a deadlift, but maybe I didn't really have the integrity like in my deeper muscles to be able to control that movement entirely, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's something about moving your body weight that I guess uses your mind more, if you could put it that way, mm, <laughs> like you're like a connection. Yeah. There's like a more of a connection. Um, maybe, maybe not really like muscularly, but, um, just in like court coordination of all your muscles. Um, there's more of uh, that, that type of thing. Yeah. And I mean, even more than the muscles, like the, the ligaments and tendons and connective tissue, like all of that has to be so, uh, you know, turned on or tuned in or whatever to do handstand push-ups compared to like, you can just kind of push through and, um, your, the control in an overhead press is maybe not as necessary as a handstand pushup. Yeah. And actually there are some good barbell exercises that, um, transfer over to body weight. Well, like people who can deadlift, uh, more than like 2.5 times their body weight usually have a pretty easy time doing the front lever. Um, so, so there are some things like there, cause like you need to pull the bar into your shins as you come out of the, the bottom uh, of the deadlift. So that's a similar movement to the, the front lever. I love that really good example too. Um, so I, like I mentioned, I found her book after I got injured, I was actually like researching online. How do I program for body weight training? I was like getting into calisthenics and I had been so familiar with DUP and 531 and heavy light medium conjugate all these programs for how to periodize for barbell training, but there wasn't really much out there. So for clarity, this was near 2018, I would say, um, okay. for, for how to like structure this. And so lo and behold, found Steve's book, overcoming gravity. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, this is so helpful because uh, you do a wonderful job of providing um, just structure and very in-depth um, about like how to start your routine, um, how to scale progressions for different skills and body weight training and just like sample programming. So that was a blessing for me to find. So you got a degree in biochemistry. It was 
what was the path that you kind of like saw yourself going in, in the process of getting that degree? Um, actually, I wanted to do science. Um, so that, that was like the process. But then once I graduated, I was like, wait, all the jobs are basically working in labs. And I was like, <laughs> I probably don't want to work in a lab uh, for, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, so I, I basically shadowed uh, like doctors, uh, physical therapists, and like some others and try to figure out um, a, a potential career career path from there, um, mm-hmm. which I recommend doing in college since uh, that, that would have been better, <laughs> but uh, eventually figured <laughs> out. Live and that, learn. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually figured out that um, physical therapy looked like a very good one. Um, also because I as well had some injuries training in college, um, specifically like uh, some shoulder and knee pain, um, mm. which helped me formulate some of the concepts I used in the book. Um, so uh, passion for PT from there um, uh, led me to going to physical therapy school. Okay. Uh, do you want to share like what was, what were your biggest setbacks in training? Um, were the, they those injuries you mentioned and like, what did you learn from them? <laughs> yeah. So uh, the two that I would be talking about here is I, I started getting shoulder pain um, basically because I, well, I wouldn't say because of maybe, maybe like imbalances or something that are like weirdly talked about now in like the scientific literature and if they cause pain or if they don't. Um, so um, okay. just going from like my previous thinking at, at least um, basically as doing lots of different push exercises. So like training for the planche, doing dips, handstand pushups. Um, but for pull, I was really only doing like pull-ups and that was it. So uh, <laughs> there, there wasn't a lot of basically all the, the, the push muscles, uh, similar, similar to like the, the beach body bros in the gym doing like only bench press and only chest exercises. Um, so uh, eventually that, at least that type of training, maybe if like imbalances don't cause pain or whatever, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it, something in there, um, led me to start getting shoulder pain. So I started doing mm. some research and I was like, okay, um, this training is not actually that good for me. Um, um, back then there was actually not too much, um, info on the internet, um, in terms of like in-depth training, uh, and this was around probably 2008 or so. Um, there, there was not like a whole ton um, aside from like uh, CrossFit forums were up by then. Um, so it was, mm. uh, I, no, actually this was um, two, th- wow, I actually, um, so I, I was in college uh, 2003 to 2007. So this was like 2004. Okay. <laughs> so like way back, <laughs> way back when. Okay. Um, um, basically I found uh mad cows geocities website and geocities is uh, yeah, yahoo's now defunct uh create your own site type of thing um okay. basically he had a ton of info on um training and periodization um like dual factor theory fitness and fatigue uh, models and i i learned a ton from there and then also just when talking about people with like how to create exercise routines or formulate things like that i was able to glean some information and realized that, you know, my training, I've only been training like this side of my shoulder. I need to mm-hmm. put in some work on the rotator 
rotator cuffs um, and scapular muscles. And so I started to do a more uh, balanced form of training um, from there. Um, and okay. my shoulder pain resolved. So awesome. Worked. It worked. <laughs> yep. Um, the, the programming that you came across, was that just like periodization in general? Um, I guess I'm wondering, was it like targeted at body weight training or barbell training or kind of both? No, it was all barbells. Um, there's nothing, pretty much no, um, body weight training info available at that time. Uh, yeah. I don't recall any, like, like we would on the drills and skills forum, um, way back, way back when I think 2002, 2003 ish, um, we would discuss like training, but, um, no one ha had really like a formulaic way to, um, c construct routines or, um, doing any, do anything regarding like the principles of, of strength and conditioning. Um, mm. so like at, at that point it was kind of just haphazard. <laughs> so like okay. people just threw stuff together and kind of see does, does this work or not and like you could get <laughs> some information because you know you would get stronger but um you have no way to know of knowing if it's like too much too little like are you progressing at like an optimal rate or just like a good rate um and so like um i guess just like more updated concepts um like I i'm not sure if you've heard of a renaissance periodization Yep. Um, th yeah, they have, they have a good system where they are talk about like minimal effective volume, uh, maximal mm. adaptive volume, and then maximal recoverable volume. Um, so that's a good indicator of like, okay, what's the minimum you can do to progress? Um, what's the optimal amount of sets to progress the most? And then what is, you can still progress, but maybe you're pushing your body's recovery capacity. You don't want to be doing too much, but you don't want to be doing too little, but you want to be doing just enough for, your specific situation, um, in regard to, um, you know, your genetics affecting your training ability, um, just like how many sets you have. And then also your recovery ability, uh, recovery ability, um, which also includes things like, uh, your nutrition, your stress levels and, uh, your right, training, nutrition, stress, and sleep, 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 yeah. Yeah, sleep, sleep, <laughs> You know, missing a big um, one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I got into strength training really back in 2014, I would say I really dove into it and I experienced similar to you. Like there wasn't a lot out there on how to actually make progress. Um, there was more, but it was in the forms of forums and you had to really dig for it compared to like RP that you mentioned and just all these other companies that have emerged today that have really made uh, accessible, the information accessible so people can get into the gym, get right to business and feel confident in the methods that they're using. Um, and then you said there was two injuries. So the shoulder, you, you did all the research and were able to recover from that. What about the other one? Yeah. So parkour is high impact, obviously, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's it it just overuse. Um, so figuring out the appropriate volume that I could do without, um, aggravating the reefs, um, is basically it. I, I had Osgood slaughters as a kid. Um, that's where the, the patellar 
tendon pulls away from the tibia a little bit um, and causes mm-hmm. some inflammation and pain. Um, so that got re reaggravated uh, when I started doing parkour, um, even though it's not really an adult thing, um, but it, it did. Um, so basically I had to make sure I was doing some rehab um, with some isolation work and like building up uh, squatting, squatting movements, uh, dead, deadlifts. And then um, work your way back slowly into it. So kind of like physical therapy before I was interested in physical therapy. Yeah, yeah, that just graded exposure and um, learning what progressive overload looks like with yep. an injury because it changes obviously when your tissues are not a hundred percent. Yep. Um. So you, you got the biochemistry degree, you went to PT school, became a physical therapist, um, getting all this experience with all of these passions and sports. So when did you really dive into coaching? Was it within your college years and, um, yeah, within that time frame? Yeah. So Jim Canna has a summer camp, um, and they basically bring in kids from around the area, to, you know, get to learn some of the, the gymnastics that, you know, you've done uh, at the schools. Um, some kids are from the schools and some are from like from around the area or like former uh, alumni kids. Um, and so you're, you're coaching them. And so that's pretty much what got me into coaching. Um, and I guess from there, I was coached the troop for several years and then um, also moved it into my own business as well. Very nice. Um, so I guess I, I would love to hear like some of your, like what's the most common misconception you hear as a coach about body weight training? Common misconception. Hmm. I think people are just confused about how to program. I mean, that's the, the main thing I ran into and the main thing you ran into. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the concepts that are like in periodization and stuff and um, all the things like, you know, daily injury periodization, um, light, medium, heavy, and all those things, they do work, um, but you have to usually have some expertise to uh, apply them um, correctly, unless you're doing like weighted body weight exercises in which it's pretty easy. Um, wow. So, you know, like light day, you could just do pull-ups with less weight, um, heavy day, you do pull-ups weighted pulps with more weight. Um, so, um, just, I guess, knowing how to apply the easier and harder progressions in to a periodization system is, is helpful. And I also think like a lot of the concepts like that RP has are useful in explaining, um, training to other, other people as well. Um, because you, most people I've seen who get into body weight tend to want to do too much too soon. Mm. And so they get overuse injuries. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, just digging back, um, the amount of sets most, most beginners and intermediates are doing is, is the main thing as, as well. Um, like most beginner programs, at least, you know, across the various spectrum, you know, starting strength, um, strong lifts, um, even like the, the Reddit recommended routine, um, my book, yeah. They, they all, they are pretty consistent in prescribing about one to two exercises per, um, muscle group. Um, and usually in a three to five ish set range. 
Um, and so like, you don't need more to optimally progress as even like a, a new beginner or a trained beginner. That's about as much like people who add on that are just moving towards their maximal recoverable volume or overuse injuries. Yeah. Which we don't want to get injured, but the goal of strength training is to prevent injury, not to get us closer to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you ever have people that come to you thinking like, body weight training is an easier route than barbell training? Um, usually not. Um, usually they think barbells is easier just because the ease of loading patterns. Um, so like barbell, mm. dumbbell, you just add weight enough to the bar. Um, most people who come to body weight training are interested in learning the specific skills for themselves or they practice a sports that is primarily body weight. So usually like climbers, um, wrestlers, uh, martial arts, gymnasts, obviously parkour. Although um, most of the people who do like a more leg dominated sports tend to tend to gravitate to barbells um, as mm. the ease of loading for things like squats and deadlifts uh, and plyometrics are um, much better. Yeah, um, I've had people who have come to me uh, just because of my path, like with getting injured. And then I kind of, I went to yoga first and then I went to bodyweight training. Cause I think mm. yoga in some ways can be less intense. Um, but then calisthenics that the intensity level can go up really quick. Um, so that's why I asked is because I think in my opinion, there can be a misconception that bodyweight training can be less intense, but like I said, like the leverage, you can use your body to make it more or less challenging, just depending on what your goals are. Yeah. And body weight tends to put, well, it progressively puts the body in a less leveraged position, um, which mm -hmm. means usually the joints and connective tissues are put in, um, I guess I would say a more awkward position. Um, like you're, you know, you're leaning forward more for the plants or you're, you know, extending your body for the front lever, which means there's more, um, more forces or torque on, you know, your shoulders and elbows, um, because you're keeping them straight. So, um, th there definitely usually is need needed to be at least some connect connective tissue preparation, uh, either through isolation exercises or, um, doing some, uh, prehab in the beginning with like very late ex exercises. Um, usually skin to cats support holds are all good ones for like straight arm movements. Um, just in the beginning, super low volume, um, while you're working up some of the basic uh, movements, like your push-ups, your dips, uh, your rows, your pull-ups. And then um, once you start to move into those isometrics, your con connective tissues have been prepared a bit for that um, previously. Uh, most people just want to jump right into the isometrics. And while some people can do it, uh, others will, will start to feel it uh, pretty, pretty rapidly, usually. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, I remember when I started doing a lot of ring work, um, someone asked me like, why do gymnasts have such thick, like forearms to biceps? Like their elbows are so thick. And I was explaining it's because on the rings, you have to develop a lot of connective tissue, like strength rather than just muscle tissue. And so those like tendons and ligaments, um, I forget the exact term, but it's like hypertrophy at the distal ends of the muscle is, is thicker typically when you do body weight training compared to, uh, barbell training. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, there is some research that um, the 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 parts near to the muscles near towards the joint um, do hypertrophy more um, with basically exercises at that joint. Um, and also, um, it may not apply to adults as much, but um, at least with teenagers and kids, um, tendons do hypertrophy to a greater extent, um, um, especially as you're growing up training. Um, so that, that does happen. Um, so like, you know, your, your rings gymnasts, they will have bigger tendons than normal, than normal people's, <laughs> which is kind of badass looking. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I'm also curious, do you get, um, people who come to you who, cause what I've seen, uh, more anecdotally, I don't know if there's research behind this, um, people who jump into barbell training and progress really fast will build up a lot of muscular tissue, but the connective tissue and tendon and ligament strength can sometimes lag a little bit, which is kind of what I was, uh, explaining earlier. And so I really see a need there for, um, the benefits that strength athletes as in barbell athletes can get out of bodyweight training. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. The, anytime you're progressing too fast, that's a potential risk for overuse injuries. Um, usually mm -hmm. muscles adapt pretty quickly to resistance training. So, um, the, usually the joints, uh, ligaments and tendons will lag behind a bit. So, uh, you know, if you're progressing too quick for your body's ability to adapt, usually whatever weak link is going there is going to break. So you, you, most of the time it's tendons. Um, so I guess not dissimilar from body weight training, um, um, with barbells, um, you, you can, yeah, usually it is, uh, ten, tendon type overuse injuries, um, just like it is with body weight. Um, so, um, usually the, the key there is just dialing back on the volume intensity or frequency, um, maybe even a combination of those and then, um, doing some isolation work, uh, usually helps, um, and stretching, but only if you've lost range of motion, um, th those are like the things coming out of physical therapy. Stretching mm -hmm. is kind of like stretching is kind of like here or there in the literature. Um, like yeah. pretty, pretty in it pretty ineffective in the vast majority of cases to prevent injury or do anything useful except, um, expand your range of motion. Um, mm. so, but definitely useful in a recovery program. If you've lost range of motion, um, though, sometimes I program it in anyway, um, just cause people need it because they get very inflexible easily. So and there's a lot to say there, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. No stretching. I mean, as a yoga teacher, I, um, I see benefits beyond just like the physiological, like, uh, how to explain it. I, I do see the benefits there, right? It's like allowing the mind to rest and allowing the mind to rest relieves tension in the body. And so it does, um, allow people to have more freedom in their movement. Um, so I, I guess where I was going with all this before is, do you see a, 
a, a need for people who do body weight train, or I'm sorry, barbell training to incorporate body weight training, like as a supplement? Hmm. Usually, well, it highly depends on people's goals. So like if their, their goal is to, you know, get a huge bench press, they probably don't need body weight training. Um, as long as, you know, they're getting good technique coaching and they're not ego lifting all the time, you know, using mm. the, the right amount of intensity and volume. Like if you're doing like one rep maxes all the time, that's probably not good for your training. You want most <laughs> of your training to be in, you know, the five to 12 ish rep range, build, mm -hmm. build the strength and hypertrophy and other qualities, um, that in, into the, the muscle tissue, uh, bones and such that, um, you're being able to get those strength adaptions. Um, and then, you know, if you're, you're ego lifting, usually the high intensity tends to cause more potential, uh, risk for overuse injuries. So, mm. um, in, in most cases, probably not, um, do people need to supplement with body weight? Um, but it, it just highly depends on people's goals. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Perhaps if someone is a strength athlete and, and the reason I ask like a lot of these questions is because that's, that's my background, but also a lot of the folks that I train around and who are probably listening come from a background of, um, being around barbell training. Um, I, I guess I would recommend it or I see a need if there is, you know, an off season and an athlete is perhaps burnt out of their sport that they are specializing in and do want some variety in their training. Um, cause it can be fun to just like play around on the rings or try to switch up your goal and get a handstand. If you're only used oh, yeah. to doing, you know, three movements or weightlifting two movements. Um, and so I've seen that play out. So yeah, I guess that's where I would see a need or a, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, uh, there, exercises do get pretty stale after a while. Like you, you won't improve on them as much. So switching to um, different variations or even to a uh, different discipline like body weight for a little bit can help you get that uh, motivation and consistency consistency back up. And then when once you go back to like the bench, usually it's like kind of solidified a bit more, and then you start to make progress again. So. Um, you know, if somebody is feeling burnt out, uh, usually a, a switch is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess in your book, overcoming gravity, as you did all this research and, and put it all together, what were some of the main differences you were seeing and like the programs that you came across for barbell training compared to what you were suggesting in your book? Some of the main differences, um, the, I guess the main differences, um, it was implementing progressions in a good manner, um, with, you know, like correct volume intensity. So, um, generally the, the structure I use for most full body routines, at least to start, um, for, um, trained beginners, um, may, maybe a bit less for like super new beginners, um, is like the you know, two exercises for upper body pushing, two exercises for upper body pulling, um, usually about two for core and then um, two for legs. Um, so that tends to mimic most of the 
structures from most other beginner programs out mm. there. Um, and then putting together the sets and reps is a little bit harder because you don't know how many sets and reps you can get with a specific progression at first. So somebody has to actually go and test the various movements. Um, you have to find the progression that fits your current level. Um, hopefully, you know, within three to 10 ish reps, um, cause bridging the gap or being able to only do like one or two reps is generally ineffective for building strength and hypertrophy. So, mm -hmm. um, if it, if it's too hard, that's generally not good, but then if it's like over 12 and too easy, that's generally not good. So, um, basically helping people find the range of being able to, you know, progress the reps there, or if they wanted to do like a weighted version, they can, you know, add a weight vest or, um, you know, a weighted plate on their back to make the exercises harder or like a dip belt or something like that. Um, and then, um, especially what I covered in, um, the second edition of the book is in, inter-exercise progressions, um, which is making it from the next, um, basically one progression to the next. So like going from, uh, regular pull-ups to like L pull-ups, um, mm -hmm. what are some ways to progress from there to there? Um, so you have your two things, um, ba basically the two main progressions in body weight fitness are your inter-exercise progressions, um, which are, you know, going from progression to progression, but then you have your intra exercise progressions, which is basically improving within the same progression to uh, usually higher reps. Um, but you can use uh, weights in that manner as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was so helpful in your book, having like a scaled down version to be able to progress a client into a handstand. If like, um, you know, they didn't have the shoulder strength to hold them upside down with their back against the wall. Maybe we use a box, like you said, some kind of assistance to prop their feet up. So they're more in like an upside down L and then maybe we, or even scale back even further in them doing, um, like a, a frame kind of push up to start building some of that shoulder strength before you just take it all the way to a version that they're feeling just so challenged and kind of defeated. And, and some people even like with handstands get nervous kicking up to the wall. So just building their confidence and getting upside down. And, uh, cause that's a whole different, like awareness of understanding yeah. <laughs> what does it feel like in your body to be with your feet above your head in, in an inverted position compared to standing upright. So, um, yeah, I love that breakdown of the uh, that would be intra progression, but then an inter progression would maybe be, uh, learning to do like a handstand press up. But so going from a handstand to a handstand press up. Yeah. Um, or like going from the, you know, the pike push ups to like your feet on the box and then your feet on the wall for like the handstand. So, um, basically scaling up the progression to make it harder on your your shoulders and whatever muscles are being worked by the specific exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess I I'm thinking back to some of my favorite takeaways from your book 
And I really liked you. It, it seemed, I don't know, maybe I just really needed to hear it at the time, or maybe you said it a lot in the book over and over, but we get better at what we practice. And you were basically just making the point that um, if you practice bad technique in your training, you're going to teach your brain to get better at bad technique. And that's definitely something we don't want. Um, yeah. Do you maybe want to expand upon that a little bit? Yeah. So the nervous system, um, is very malleable <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, e- even people, um, who like are injured with like strokes that their physical therapy can, you know, get them back doing, um, so depending on the severity, obviously, um, so, some are like really severe, um, and it, it's hard to work with, but, um, in a lot of cases you get back to doing a lot of, uh, what, what you had done before, even if you had like, uh, you know, a, a um, moderate or not as severe, um, stroke. Um, but yeah, the, the nervous system as they're finding out from the research over the past, you know, 20 years is very, um, plastic or has good plasticity. Um, so whatever you are practicing or, um, learning, um, if you're, you're doing it in a suboptimal way, you'll, you'll get good at suboptimal, uh, technique. So, um, it's imperative to generally practice optimal technique from the get-go and, um, you know, there, there is a little variation in form uh, with, with body weights. Um, if, if somebody, you know, can do, you know, four pulps of bad form. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, okay, just do like one pulp with like really good form. Um, as long as their form is improving with the exercise and the exercise is not, um, like potentially dangerous for them, then you can have them work on form as a progression first, um, as opposed to, you know, bumping them down to a, a volume where, they're not going to be as pressing as much. Um, so, so there is a little bit of, of variation there as long as somebody's form is improving over the course of um, their training um, to a good level. Um, but yeah, overall, you, you definitely want to uh, do perfect technique. And it's really important in body weight training because um, having the right body positions and the right technique really can make or break your ability to actually do the movement. Um, so handstand pushup is a, a great example. Um, mm-hmm. if your, your handstand has like poor control and your legs and flopping all which way, uh, like a bunch of people's handstands and, um, not, <laughs> not like lock straight and your body's solid. Um, you're, you're basically instituting more variables into, um, performing the movement, which makes it harder to do. Um, so like if you're moving back and forth, okay, now your body has to control the momentum of your legs moving back and forth and your core wobbling, as opposed to having a straight body and going, you know, up and down, which is, um, more just for, um, working on the, you know, the triceps, shoulder muscles and chest. Um, so once you add add in that, uh, variation of not having correct form, uh, the exercise becomes much harder as well. Yeah. I love that you, there's a few things in there that I want to pull out. Um, one, this, like we get better at what we practice. Yeah. There's a fine line between like becoming obsessive about your technique and be like, Oh, I can only move forward when it's perfect. Um, 
so that's a, a trap, I guess, as an athlete to look out for and make sure that like what you said, make sure you're, you're progressing and not using it as a, a limitation essentially. Um, but also just how, in my experience, body weight training just seemed like it was more taxing on the nervous system than resist or barbell training. Um, and I think like what we were talking about at the beginning, there's just like a greater demand of focus that's required to like really have full body engagement when you're doing something like a handstand pushup. Um, yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I've definitely found that as well. Um, there, there are a few, uh, barbell exercises like the deadlift, which uses the whole body, which obviously has a insane amount of, you know, fatigue potential. Um, so right. like, you know, top, top power lifters may only deadlift, you know, once every two, three weeks because they're, you know, doing super heavy deadlifts is just going to destroy their recovery. So, uh, most of the other time they're doing assistance exercises to help with, uh, the muscles to, um, keep up the deadlift strength. Um, so, um, there are some barbell ones that are very fatiguing, but yeah, in my experience, I, I have found that to be true, uh, with body weight exercises, um, namely because of, introducing like the coordination and balance components in things like handstand pushups, you're, you're definitely have to have more focus, um, doing the exercise and more body coordination. And so it's definitely, um, more fatiguing compared to like your, your counterpart, like overhead press. Um, there are some others, uh, most, most, um, mostly I would say the, the handstand variations are more taxing than their other barbell or dumbbell overhead, um, components. Um, but, um, planche as well. Um, a bunch of the, the levers, um, have, yeah. well, well, not necessarily like comparative to like bench or anything. They, they can be very taxing on the body. Yeah. I was going to say I was training the front lever on rings and using a band actually underneath the rings to assist and hold the hips up. But even doing it assisted, I was like, this is work like a 30 second hold or whatever, you know, you find the right progression for you, but it's very demanding to have to squeeze the adductors together, keep the core engaged, uh, keep that like tension in the lats. Like you mentioned, like in a deadlift, it's the same sort of tension built there. So it's, um, yeah, you don't really need much to, I mean, depending on your ability level, I didn't really need much <laughs> to feel the stimulus. Um, you know, another, another thing, did you, let's see, did you notice an insurgence of people reaching out to you to get involved in, um, body weight training when COVID hit? Because I know it's very, it's pretty accessible. You don't need a ton of equipment to do this sort of hobby. Um, so I was curious to hear if, if that was something you noticed. Yeah, I, I definitely noticed that as well. Um, the, the book sales actually went up, uh, probably 30 to 50%, um, over wow. usual. Um, so there was definitely more people who formerly had beginning at the gym now can't get into the gym. And are like, I need to figure out what to do while training at home. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, definitely more interest there. And, uh, I was also getting some more interest, um, for the, 
training and uh, in injury consultations too, probably because um, some, some of that traffic was uh, driven to my website or people were searching for body weight as well. Um, but I, I think a lot of people are also going to uh, YouTube for, you know, tutorials and things as well. So um, there may have been a lot more interest, um, but uh, at least so, some of my metrics, um, there, there was some more just, um, so, um, yeah, basically, um, there, I don't know how much more interest there was, uh, just cause I don't, I don't have, I'm not like big on YouTube or anything like that. Um, hmm. so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, um, in, in my coaching experience, I remember a lot of people were like, what do I do? I can't get into the gym anymore. And so I kept recommending like, get some rings, go to the park or do something that, um, is more accessible. And so I feel like body weight fitness can be a, a great path for that as well. Uh, a little off topic, but I had it in my notes. So I think it's worth mentioning to people who are either looking for reasons to get involved in the hobby or, um, yeah, just getting into training in general and looking for some, some paths. So yeah, you mentioned your, your philosophy behind the second version actually of the book overcoming gravity Two, is give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach a man a fish to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. Um, can you explain more about like, how does that leak into your, your goal with the book, your goal on your coaching, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think I actually included that in the, the first edition as well in, in the intro, maybe uh, something like that. Um, but yeah, that's generally been the philosophy of my, my business and practice um, since I was able to like learn and then I guess, build a whole a career on this thing. This is like something I, I like to do. And then um, just not necessarily like giving back completely, but like, you know, teaching people to do things for themselves um, is generally more rewarding to me than, you know, give this person a program and, um, you know, they'll use it for a bit, but then, you know, dump it by the wayside uh, after, mm -hmm. you know, a few months. Um, although, you know, programs seem to be more, um, successful than, um, my method at least. So maybe there's some value in that <laughs> at least from a sustainability perspective. Um, mm. but yeah, I, I like to, um, teach and help people learn how to train for themselves. Um, and so, um, my website, uh, my books are all about helping people, uh, learn how to do that. And obviously I don't want to take away from, you know, trainers and, uh, you know, uh, doctors, PTs and all the other, uh, professions. Cause you know, it, they are needed in a lot of cases, uh, especially if somebody has, uh, more complex problems than, um, what they can learn to do for themselves. So there is mm. that kind of tension there where people need to also have the, um, you know, ability to see uh, past the, that Dunning-Kruger effect where, you know, yeah. you, you, <laughs> you, you, if you don't know what you don't know, then you, you, you know, you need to get some help. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you don't uh, know, but, or you know, you don't know, you need to get some help as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, uh, uh, it can kind of trap you in there. You think, you know, more than you do kind of thing and you actually don't know anything. So 
Uh, yeah, and part of that is like trial and error too, right? Um, so one one of the the common analogies I use for like training for the the planche specifically is you know I was doing a lot of heavy weighted dips and wasn't seeing a good transfer um, from them to my straddle planche, um, but um, Jim of B Skills, I don't know if you you've heard of him, but he was one of the early um, body weight training sources of inf information back in the day. And he used to go to Jim Cannon as well. I was talking with him and he said that heavy weighted dips really helped him solidify his planche. So um, there is some variation, you know, depending on your, your body of things that may work better for you than other people and things that work better for other people may not work for you. Um, another mm -hmm. example of this is um, things like using bands for front lever. Um, some people do really well with them and they'll, they'll like swear by them and they'll say that they're the best method, but, um, you know, just holding holds can also work. Um, and doing front lever rows can also work. And then also, you know, using uh, a weighted vest or ankle weights to make the thing harder can also work. Um, and then also things like, you know, an eccentric from an inverted hang down to the, the movement can also work. So, uh. um, if somebody is plateauing, I generally encourage people to try a lot of different movements and usually um, give them a fair chance. So, you know, train them for at least four, if not six to eight weeks um, to see if they're, they're, they can break that plateau with them. Um, because um, what works for somebody else really effectively may not necessarily work as good for you. And um, a lot of body weight training is figuring out uh, the best methods for you and your body. Um, so it kind of differs from barbell training in, in that respect. Um, um, obviously, it's maybe a little bit easier to identify weak links with uh, barbell training and train them um, with dumbbells. Um, so, um, but yeah, overall, um, there there is, I think, a lot more variation in exercises that work in body weight training and um, people who are suggesting, um, dogmatically, like this is the best exercise for this, um, uh, probably aren't right. Most of the time, <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there are some cases, the catchy where, line. <laughs> yeah. There, there are some cases where like, I, I think exercises are superior for things than others, but, um, once you get to like ad advanced, um, high intermediate advanced, um, there, there is, uh, that variation that you have to find out, uh, what works for you, um, the best. Mm, yeah, no, it's a really good point. And I, um, to bring it back to your point about like coaches and trainers, like there's definitely a need for them, but the books that you've put out I see them more just as like tools. So it's always good to have more tools in the toolbox to be able to reference the charts that you provide and look at these different ways that someone could potentially progress. But then, like you said, if they do hit a roadblock and, maybe they try like four to six weeks, a, a different progression. And they just feel very stumped seeking out a coach, uh, a mentor who is, you know, walking the path that you want to walk. I think there's, there's no shame in, in hiring a coach and like, yeah, there's no shame in trying to figure it out on your own too. And just, it's all about like what you said, learning what works for you through trial and error. So that's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. Coaching definitely has a, a lot of value to it. Yeah. Um, do you want to share, I know you already touched a little bit on kind of how you would structure a routine for 
a novice, is there any more um, you want to share around that or maybe like some intermediate like progressions? Yeah. So usually um, moving from like an untrained beginner to like a trained beginner to intermediate range um, as your body adapts over time, um, generally your work capacity will increase and your, um, you know, ability to perform more sets will increase. Um, so there, there is like, you know, you're not necessarily staying in the, you know, three to six, uh, set range per muscle group, um, as like, a, a new beginner, um, a lot of intermediate programs usually have about six to 10 ish sets per muscle group or so, um, just as a, a general, general, um, not, not rule, but like in general, um, guideline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is, uh, one of the things uh, that most people miss generally, um, you know, as your, as your body adapts to the exercise, this doing the same thing over and over won't work. So you have mm. to either increase the volume via sets or increase the intensity via the difficulty of the exercise or also um, increase the frequency of doing the exercise. So those are the three main ones, um, frequency, uh, volume and intensity. Um, mm. and usually progressing one or multiple of them is the most effective way to continue to progress at least, um, for, for intermediates and obviously avoiding overuse injuries. So you don't want to progress too fast, um, but, uh, at a, at a good rate. Um, and, yeah. So, so basically the, those are the main things, um, to keep in mind. And, and as you move like towards your genetic potential, um, your, your training gains will de definitely like slow down in like the, the, I think logarithmic curve or whatever the arcing curve is. Um, okay. <laughs> but, but as the exercises get harder, um, the fatigue also proportionally increases. So your margin mm. of error will start to shrink, um, to where <laughs> you're unable to, um, progress if you're doing too much. Um, yeah, yeah, basically, um, with, yeah, your the, the margin of error shrinks, um, for, as you move from beginner to intermediate to advanced, uh, and, and so on. Um, so this is really where the value of learning programming comes in as you'll, you'll be able to, um, more effectively hit that range where you're adapting to the exercises and getting stronger, um, but avoiding ex excessive fatigue. Mm. So would you say for the intermediate, uh, still kind of keep them around like two push two pull exercises per session. Is that right? Yeah, Obviously so... like it depends person for person, but general yeah. guideline. <laughs> yeah. I usually keep them at about Two, uh, two exercises. Um, and then the range would be usually three to five sets instead of just like a strict way three, um, like two or three for beginners. Um, and then, um, if somebody doesn't want to do like the set increase, um, and some people want some more exercise variation, um, sometimes introducing, you keep the two set two exercises of three sets and then introduce a third exercise, um, but at one to two sets at first, and then you can vary it up to like three or 
you know, go to four with a, a one. So you can stay in that six to 10 set range. Um, so it doesn't mm. necessarily need to stay at um, two sets or two exercises. You can go to three um, as long as you keep your sets uh, within the specific range. Uh, I see. Okay. So playing around with just total volume, essentially, rather than focusing too much on just the pure exercise itself. Yeah. And obviously if you, you're the exercises you want to progress are, you know, like just two, you can, you know, max out sets with those two to get the most out of them. Um, but, um, most people, at least, uh, in my experience, um, are training for, you know, handstand pushups, planche, and, uh, maybe not necessarily some dip variation, but dips are very useful in the beginning to build good, um, strength in the hypertrophy. So, um, usually for, you know, trained beginner intermediate, uh, moving into that ter territory, they want to do the three exercises over, um, you know, to like, um, doing your planche and your overhead, uh, your overhead handstand push-ups. Mm. Yeah. I, I remember, um, when I was getting into body weight training, it was super exciting because there's so many skills that you can go after. And so it was like, I want to train for L-sits. I want to train for handstands. I want to do all this stuff on the rings. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, I think important. Yeah. It's what you're saying. It's too much. You're going to overuse, or you're just going to stall because you're not doing enough of just a few things that you're, um, wanting to prioritize and actually make progress with. And I saw the same thing with, um, other athletes that I was around at the gym of wanting to do, put too much on their plate, but also trying to make progress with like deadlifts and then ring work and martial arts and just it's I think there is a way to progress in all of those things but I think that's probably where a coach would become very effective so that they can kind of look at the um, common demands within all of these goals that you have and can choose movement patterns and exercises that fit the mold for kind of where you're heading <laughs> Yeah. That, and that's where like more advanced concepts come in, like uh, concurrent and conjugate periodization, um, having specific or even emphasized concurrent periodization, like having specific emphasis, emphases um, in at particular times is uh, generally useful to progress and, um, and then also like maintain other skills if it's too much to work all of them at once. Um, so, you know, generally, um, those things are good to keep in mind, especially with like the strength training and a sport or even like two sport ath athletes. Um, you have to take into consideration the volume from their sport and how it's interacting with uh, the specific strength training. Um, and usually it, it is helpful to realize that most sports have like an in-season, not off-season phase and they, they vary. So you can introduce more strength training and usually like the off season, whereas like in season generally you need to keep it to a minimum to maintain and then focus on, on the sport in particular. Yeah. That's actually was going to be my next question is, so you said you're currently using body weight training to complement, was it parkour or the climbing climbing? Yeah. Okay. So you, you're using those like as a supplement together, you're not so much like rotating in seasons of like park or climbing, sorry. Yeah. And then, um, body weight training. Yeah. Mostly it's supplementing, um, for right now. So, 
Um, maybe uh, I climb about three times a week. Um, some people can do more, uh, but I don't have a lot of time with kids. So um, th <laughs> three times a week for like two-ish hours is good for me. And then after my training, maybe I'll do some exercises here and there, depending on like my specific weaknesses. So um, face bowls are great because they hit everything in the the back for climbing. So like rotator cuff, uh, rear delts, scapular strengthening, and good for specific movements like you know like the the gas stone movement where you're pulling like that. Uh, um, and then I'll also um, usually hit up maybe one exercises of like push, uh, core, and then like legs. And then that's it. Cause if you pile on like a whole full body routine that with the climbing, um, usually it will start to cause overuse injuries. Um, and that mm. that's a big thing people have to learn. You, like you can't combine a standalone routine with a sport because usually the standalone routine is meant for the recovery capacity of just having a standalone routine. <laughs> it's, it's tough though, when you're like a novice, just getting into things. Um, or even if you, like for me, I was an athlete my whole life, but just because you are an athlete, you understand like how to move your body. You don't necessarily understand how to progress your body when you no longer have a coach. And so like you have this intuitive ability as an athlete to listen to your body, but then when you start doing programming, it's easy to, um, like we've been talking about, like do too much too soon. And so through trial and error, you understand like how to build a balanced routine and figure out, um, your minimum effective dose, maximum recoverable volume, and figure out like where within that spectrum, uh, you need to be daily, weekly, and it changes over time as you have other life stressors, like you mentioned kids and maybe your sleep quality decreases, or you get a new job or you build a buy house or whatever, all these things that we constantly have to be, um, tweaking and, and, uh, adapting is probably the best word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what about your other two books? So when in the process, did you, so, so you became an author. We've obviously talked about overcoming gravity. Um, when did these next two books come to fruition? Um, so the first edition of, of Overcoming Gravity was 2011, I think. Um, and then the second edition was 2016. And then Overcoming Poor Posture was 2017 or 18, I think. And then Overcoming Tendinitis was a year or two after that. Um, so um, basically in that order, uh, for the poor posture, I basically talked with the GMB guys, uh, gold, gold medal bodies. Um, Ryan Hurst was on a previous podcast, as uh, you mentioned to me earlier. Um, mm -hmm. and they wanted to uh, collaborate for that one. And then, um, the other like super popular mm -hmm. article on my website is the one on ten tendonitis, overcoming tendonitis. So, uh, that is one I definitely wanted to um, research and learn more about, um, not just to, you know, get to know the literature, but also to give a lot of practical experience um, from what tends to work for 
um, someone with that specific ovary injury because you know I, I've seen it all throughout uh, gymnastics, um, parkour, and climbing. I ha- had it myself, obviously, and mm. um, is is one that you know plagues athletes everywhere, every sport. Yeah, yeah. What did that recovery process look like for you for tendonitis? Um, so again, there's not much information out on the web. Um, th- there are some like set programs, um, that have been researched and I think they have about a 60, 68% uh, success range, um, which is for, for like all the four different ones. Um, I don't, I guess you could go to my article on the website to, to look, look at, uh, which ones those are, but, okay. um, yeah, so th- there's, of varying success rates. And, um, there's probably a a lot of different reasons for that. Um, (laughs) but, um, overall, uh, yeah, finding out what, um, specifically works in terms of volume, um, intensity and, uh, frequency is a good thing. Cause, um, it, it, uh, recovering from injury is not unlike training in a way it's, you're just doing it with, um, more variables because now mm. you, now you have pain and other types of symptoms, uh, in with the mix and then also loss of function. So you're adding a lot more complex variables, uh, to the, the training equation, um, with, with like an injured tissue or, um, in the cases of like three months with pain and you've rested, um, chronic pain. So that that's a whole wow. other, whole other thing to deal with as it's uh, a nervous system dysfunction, not like a, actual tissue tissue dysfunction. Okay. Yeah. I have never experienced tendonitis, but I have heard it can be, uh, quite the beast to overcome. So yes. <laughs> so what was, how long did it take you to heal your specific situation? Um, for, I, I, I treated my knee like that. Um, so it, it took, cause it, it was a lot of trial and error for me. Um, I, I would try to go back too soon and, mm. um, it, it would hurt. And then I, I also had, um, elbow tendonitis with, uh, gymnastics and then a little bit with climbing. Um, and you know, it practically, obviously I know the details, but it is easy to, you know, try to push back too fast because you, you mm-hmm. know, your capability. Um, and so, uh, I, I would say the biggest thing for athletes recovering, um, especially the ones who go back too fast is learning to, you know, kill your, kill your ego and just be like, okay, I'm sticking with the program. I'm not going to progress too fast. Um, even if like, you know, if I start to do too much too soon, I'll just get more symptoms and it'll set me back. Yeah. You, know, you know, if I just had done it for the program for like a month, then, uh, I'll be good. <laughs> but like, you know, if you keep pushing yourself and you keep getting more symptoms and, you know, more loss of strength and function, you're just going to delay your recovery. So, uh, if you just kill your ego for like a month or month or two, um, depending on the severity, you can, you know, get back to your sport and, or discipline, and you won't have to deal with like a nagging type of injury. Yeah. Yeah. That's so common. I like, I'm laughing with you because it is so hard as an athlete. You're like, okay, I think I'm ready to go. And it's like, when you think you're ready, maybe add, I don't know, a few more weeks or a month or I I don't know. It's going to depend on the person, but, um, 
add more time than you think is necessary because I've done the same exact track of trying to jump back in too soon. And then you just like are shooting yourself in the foot and then it's, you know, it comes with the mental health stuff too. And then it's like, you feel yeah. defeated. And so that is a tough cycle, but thanks to your book and articles you have on your website, if anyone who is listening is going through tendonitis, they have resources to uh, access at their fingertips. Um, are there any like big takeaways from the book that you want to share with folks or do you feel like we kind of covered uh, just give uh, gravity time. <laughs> or any of the others? Oh, the overcoming tendonitis. Okay. Um, I, I would say that the most common thing that I see is um, the inability to differentiate between acute and chronic pain. Um, unfortunately, like, so th this is probably the biggest problem. Um, people have pain and then usually try to self rehab or they don't rest and, you know, train through the pain. Um, so when you get somebody coming into the like PT clinic or um, when I get somebody to come in for a consult or like a question on the Reddit about tendinopathy, um, a good, I wouldn't say majority, but a good amount of the cases are people with chronic pain. And usually chronic pain is something defined as um, three months out from the initial date of the injury. If you're still experiencing um, pain, especially pain that is like disproportionate to um, the injury. Um, usually it's classified as chronic. And one of the analogies that I use for this is um, the uh, smoke alarm and cooking. So normally when you cook uh, and you, something bad happens and, you know, smoke comes off from your food that can set off the smoke alarm. So that's like a normal injury. Like um, you had overuse tendonitis, you sprained an ankle. Um, however, when with chronic pain, basically um, cooking actually isn't the issue uh, in most of the cases. Um, what becomes an issue is the smoke alarm is malfunctioning. So um, mm. a, this can happen in a couple of different ways. Um, so, some people who have chronic pain, even when doing like nothing, they have it all the time. They, that's basically the like the smoke alarm uh, going off all the time, even when you're not cooking, while you're cooking, whatever. Um, <laughs> some people um, get it only when the like they're cooking and like the temperature go up, goes up. So like um, with particular intensity of exercise or volume of exercise, if they have um, a little bit of a dysfunctional pain system there. Um, as like the intensity of the exercise goes up, um, it causes pain. Whereas, um, before they could do it, you know, without pain. Um, similarly, um, if the exercise only causes pain during like specific movements. Um, so this goes into, uh, a little more of the repetitive strain injury, um, uh, RSI or like, uh, mm. some of the not, well, not the car carpal tunnel ones in specific, but like, um, if you're getting pain with like specific movements, like, uh, typing on a keyboard or using your phone, um, in your fingers or thumbs, um, and other types of repetitive tasks. Like if you, if you get it only when like cooking certain foods, um, and the smoke alarm's going off, even though there's no smoke, that can be a, a good analogy for that. Um, so okay. 
Um, the, the way you treat um, chronic pain is to treat the nervous system uh, dysfunction, um, which is to um, basically the, the pain system um, is broken in that it's too sensitive. Um, so when it's sensitive, it starts picking up uh, any normal movement that would not normally cause pain and associating a painful sensation with it. Um, so, um, usually this happens a lot in athletes who, you know, continually work through the pain for a few weeks or a few months and they start to, um, associate the body basically associates the pain with the movement as like a habit. So anytime you perform that movement, mm. that habit gets locked on to the specific movement. Um, so yeah, so, so ba basically that's how, how chronic pain, um, develops and, you treat it by focusing on relaxing the nervous system. Um, since it's amped up all the time, you need to decrease the threat level, um, doing like novel move, uh, movements with the specific area. Um, usually novel movements, um, either cause less pain or new pain at all, um, because they're new to the body and, um, your body doesn't associate, associate them with pain. So, um, mm. doing that tells the nervous system that you're, it's, it's a safe movement, um, and starts to unassociate, um, the, the painful, the pain sensation with the movement of that area. Um, and then there's other things like, um, cognitive, uh, behavioral therapy, uh, mm -hmm. graded exercise exposure, and, um, some other things, um, sensory things you can do to, um, start getting the body to discriminate between, um, the painful sensations and what normal, normal movement feels like again. Um, so usually I do all that type of stuff, um, in combination with, um, generally some regular physical therapy stuff, like, um, a little bit of general strengthening just to, to get the body used to moving again. Um, usually I, um, tell people to, you know, go back to do doing things they enjoy as long as the pain doesn't increase or, um, stays at a very low level or minimal. Um, cause, um, you know, with the, the biopsychosocial model of pain, you, you want to get people doing the, their social activities they enjoy. And then also with the pain education, you want to, um, decrease the psychological effect of having the pain. Um, it's, like the pain is not actually injuring your body. It's just, uh, mm. the, the system's broken. So we need to fi fix the system. Uh, so interesting to learn about all of that stuff. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I guess, um, just to kind of wrap up on the books here. Um, what about overcoming poor posture? Where did that derive from? Um, so that, that's a, common myth that's out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> ba basically there's no, at least from the scientific literature, um, in the past decade, um, pretty much there's no such thing as like good posture. It's going to be variable to, um, you know, your specific body and, you know, trying to fit yourself rigidly into like a specific position is, um, generally uncomfortable and, uh, not, not good for you either. Um, but mm. there are some more, I wouldn't say, I guess you could say poor postures, you know, like your traditional, um, uh, desk jockey slash studying student where your, your head's all forward and your shoulders are rounded. Um, th that can put more forces on the area, which, um, I would say increases the risk of, 
potential things, but um, at least from the literature, having a um, poor posture, quote unquote, does not necessarily mean you will get um, injured or have pain because um, there are, you know, people in wheelchairs and have like severe scoliosis who have never had pain in their life. Um, so um, just because you have a specific position that um, increases the forces on certain areas um, does not mean you will get dysfunction. Um, but usually um, if you are injured and you have pain in specific areas, you some type of um, building strength um, and endurance um, does help um, and uh, working on at least um, moving out of uh, specific postures that increase forces in those in those specific areas like the neck and shoulders does help some so um, there's there's kind of like a paradox of like it doesn't cause or cause pain but if you are injured um, usually doing some of the things can help um, at least in rehab and get you to a pain-free state yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. How, um, just like the, the words we use can fear monger, like, Oh, your posture, you got to watch out for. And then it's like that people start to become worried of something that maybe wasn't even actually an issue. Um, yeah. you also remind me of the saying I've heard in the physical therapy circle of motion is lotion. And I think that's such a good reminder for people who sit at a desk a lot throughout the day, or maybe people who work remote now because of COVID and they're just sitting a lot just to like, you know, if your body starts feeling little tweaks and twinges and aches from being in one position too long, that's probably a good sign to just get up, change positions or go for a walk or something just to increase circulation and all those things too. Yeah, definitely think movement is is the best and um the fact that movement movement culture so to speak is is growing is uh, a generally a good thing um if you're able to move um with good strength and control into a lot of different positions obviously it's very unlikely that you'll start to have pain in any specific one specific position even if you you hang out in one of them um that uh for a long time so um, yeah, movement is movement and strengthening is pretty, pretty good, uh, to avoid, um, any type of, uh, I guess, injury risk there. Yeah. Yeah. Just building more resiliency physically and mentally. Yep. Um, I I'm curious to know, was becoming an author something that you had aspired to like when you were younger or did it kind of just happen? <laughs> Uh, I would say it kind of just happened. So <laughs> I, I guess here's the the story. Um, like you, I was finding out all my information and chatting with people who are training as well on forums back in the day, except uh, a decade earlier than you. So um, <laughs> two, 2001 to like 2000, I mean, even 2011, and beyond, uh, I was pretty much on, on forums all the time. Um, I mentioned one before I chose skills. Um, I, I was on the, the CrossFit one, uh, 2005. So like super early days of CrossFit, I think CrossFit was uh, originally in like 2002. So I was okay. there before it like got super big, um, performance menu and some others. Um, basically, um, when I was there and becoming like more knowledgeable and answering other people's questions, um, you know, you get a lot of common questions coming in here and there. So eventually I was like, okay, I'll just collate all these answers into like an article and I could just copy paste an article instead of 
writing out the same thing a dozen times. Right. Um, so I went to a blog and then transitioned the blog into a website. And um, from there, I wrote um, the fundamentals of bodyweight strength training in 2010 or 2009. Um, and basically it got several tens of thousands hit, of hits in like uh, the first few months. And people were like, you, you should write a book on this because we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and it would <laughs> be useful. We need so, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that's when I um, seriously considered starting writing, writing the book. And um, actually, uh, during, during physical therapy school, I would, uh, write some in class sometime. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Uh, knock this out really quick. (laughs) Yeah. I would just type up some stuff in the back, uh, if we were kind of like in a lull in class, um, or something like that. So (laughs) yeah, there you Uh, go. Well, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, the background of going to physical therapy school to have that insight in the book and then the background with gymnastics and, um, just the coaching that you were getting under your belt um, definitely comes through. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, like the, the book is so in depth and uh, I highly recommend to the listeners to pick it up because it's, I, I shared a post on Instagram a few weeks back and it was, it's been one of the like top books that have supported my coaching journey because there's just so much it's like a Bible for body weight training to have like a reference point for the principles of how to make progress. So yeah, incredible work. Thank you. <laughs> um, so just to make listeners aware too, you currently are still coaching and you do offer consultations online if they have questions about um, you know, personal experiences they're, they're struggling or feeling challenged with? Yeah, I still do some basically training and injury consultations. Um, I take a small amount of people at the moment, um, cause you know, I'm working on some other stuff, but yeah, if, if people are interested, um, yeah, I would say to visit my website and then we'll, we'll chat by email to see if you're a good fit. I won't, I won't, I, I don't necessarily try to take people on if they're not a good fit or like, you know, for injuries specifically, if I think um, it's a particular injury that may be best seen by someone in person, I'll, I'll recommend that as opposed to, you know, like just taking somebody's money. So yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, tr- I try not to, you know, just tr- try, try to do what's best for the patient uh, in the, in the long run. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I will link Steven's website um, as well as his books in the show notes. And then you are, like I mentioned on Reddit, are you still a pretty active user there in that thread? Yeah, I try to answer every post people make, uh, at least in uh, my Reddit, o- Overcoming Gravity, um, the one for, for the books. Um, I'm also active on bodyweight fitness, uh, which is one of the, the largest on the site. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can find me there if you have some simple questions to ask, um, as, as long as I'm at, supported by the book, at least I'll, I'll try to answer the questions if I 
not able to support it anymore and I have to get a real job, I'll probably start to cut back. But at least for now, <laughs> I'm able to do it still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go find him on Reddit because I, I came across you there. And so that's a really valuable resource too. Uh, not only for asking questions, but going through all of the history of questions and um, information you have provided. So um, yeah, thank you for that service. Um, I guess, is there anything on the horizon that you want to share with listeners um, of kind of where you're headed? Yeah, so I, the two main projects I'm working on is um, an app for the book um, with Boost Camp. Um, we're trying to get all of the exercises and the routine structures and um, also event- hopefully the, the periodization methods um, into, the, into the book and able to be easily used by people. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's one thing there. And then I'm also writing a more advanced um, periodization book at the moment, um, basically on um, how to implement uh, some of the uh, well, beyond, beyond like traditional periodization with like the, the microcycles and mesocycles, um, um, delving into um, conjugate and concurrent periodization a bit more and how to uh, utilize concepts to apply that to bodyweight training. Super cool. That's super exciting to um, have the app on the horizon in a little more digestible format. I think that'll be really cool to look at once that's available. Uh, good luck to you in, in those projects. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I guess I, my last question I have for you is what advice or feedback do you have for new coaches um, as a, I don't know, maybe not so much new coach anymore. I've been doing this for a few years or, but I work with newer coaches. So what would be some feedback you have for them as they're just starting their journey as a strength coach or maybe a yoga teacher, or something along those lines? Um, def- definitely always keep learning. I, yeah, you know, you know, the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, you just, <laughs> you think, you know, on the beginning, but you know, as you get better with your expertise in a particular area, you realize how much you don't know and um, that, you know, a lot of variables usually don't even fall into like a a very rigid structure. Um, So always be willing to examine your process and see how it fits in with, you know, your clients. And um, in in particular, um, you know, usually I'll start clients off with like a kind of not necessarily a set program, but like some variability in a set and, but then also um, keep track of how they're responding to things and see if, you know, like it's too much or maybe it's too little and change the progression methods or the the loading methods uh, accordingly. So that not only can they learn more about their body, you're also learning about their body at, at the same time. Um, so be flexible in your approach, um, you know, have, have a general approach, but then, um, be flexible with, um, the types of clients that, uh, you come in and get. And then, um, the second one would just be always be learning. Um, if you're not, if you're not continually learning, then you're, 
you know, you're just going to fall behind. Um, it, it, and I would say not just um, in education, but um, in questioning your own methods um, and exploring other coaches and other systems methods as well. Um, usually there is uh, a good amount of information you can learn and apply. And hopefully as, as you give credit to them uh, when you do, like um, for example, the uh, Renaissance periodization, I like their um, minimum effective volume and uh, maximal adaptive volume and uh, maximal program volumes concept. So I'll talk about the uh, name drop them every time I uh, reference that in um, different stuff. Um, and I'm also subscribed to their YouTube channel, which is good. Um, so like, um, definitely keep learning. Um, there are people even in, you know, different, um, subsets as you, uh, that you can learn from. Um, so, you know, uh, learning about how to develop good habits, you know, from like atomic habits or like other mm. books and things, um, uh, make your, educate yourself in a very, very diverse manner because, um, you know, a lot of coaching is working with people's habits and, you know, there, there's tons of other, uh, variables in that too. Um, helping get it, helping to get them to, um, prioritize what they find important, um, and helping get to get them, um, more develop discipline and consistency in training and not relying on motivation. Uh, mm -hmm. and so, you know, you're not just working with somebody who wants to train with you or who wants diet advice. You're working with a whole person who <laughs> has a, human. a lot, yeah, <laughs> who has, uh, you know, a lot of hopes, dreams, goals, and, uh, the variability of how effective you'll be with them is, is relies on not just your, your knowledge in one specific area. Yeah. Yeah. You remind me of a quote that's stuck with me so much as a coach that people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And it's so true in coaching. It's like, um, yeah, you can have all the letters after your name as all, all the letters you want, but, um, uh, it's a real human at the end of the day that we're building relationships with. So, yeah, yeah. I love all of that advice. Um, I, I want to link your books, but since you brought up Atomic Habits, I'll also ask you, um, is there any recommended reading outside of your books that you would like to share with people? Um, I can't think of anything else at the moment. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe something, maybe something will, will pop into my head, but, um, okay. especially for like bodyweight training, since there isn't a lot out on, um, programming, even, even still, um, at least from what I've seen and heard, um, de delving into like traditional, uh, periodization for like barbell methods will also give you a, you know, a good amount of information. Uh, you mentioned, uh, three, five, uh, five, three, one as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mentioned daily undulating periodization in the book and, uh, similar concepts. Um, so, um, a lot of the, traditional like uh periodization books um uh actually let, let me uh pull, pull the two i recommended on, on my lip give me one sec yeah you're good and then i i guess i'm also curious like outside of just body weight training if there's any books you'd recommend um so uh the science and practice of strength training by zetsjorski 
is a good one. Um, periodization training for sports from Tudor Bampa. Mm. Um, some other ones I like are uh, Kelly Sturrett's uh, uh, Supple Leopard, Becoming a Supple Leopard. Um, I, I think people overrate uh, mobility and soft tissue work, but um, it is useful in a lot of cases. So <laughs> I agree as a yoga teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, the, think... oh, uh, I, I was going to say the, the, the big thing is um, if, if somebody is like perpetually tight or in pain um, and, you know, you're doing a lot of soft tissue work and other like optimization stuff and it's not getting significantly better there's probably an underlying uh issue that isn't being addressed so um mm. it, it's good to do and try different things but like if your issue isn't being fixed and you always have to you know foam roll your back or something from it getting tight then foam rolling or doing soft tissue work probably isn't the answer there it's uh probably some underlying issue like uh instability or weakness or lack of endurance uh, that is causing the tightness and if you address that then uh you'll actually solve the problem yeah yeah getting to the root rather than just putting band-aids on it essentially yep <laughs> so important um well thank you so much for your time today for sharing all the knowledge again all the work that you've done super appreciated um i've enjoyed getting to chat with you and um i look forward to staying connected Yep. Glad to be here. Uh, it was fun. I, uh, I've done a bunch of other podcasts before, but uh, this, this really pulled some out some good questions and material. So liked it. Good, good. Well, yeah, thank you again and take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support us by following along, leaving a review, sharing it out, or donating. There are a few more ways you can get involved in the POA community. Number one, hop on over to Instagram and join the conversation. Two, apply for coaching. We are currently accepting applications for our signature offer, Unleash Your Potential. Three, join our newsletter. This is a quick five-tip email that I send out on Mondays. I deem it Monday Minutes. And it's full of things I am reading, using, and loving to perform at my highest potential daily. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, be sure to sign up. You will receive a free guided meditation for joining. All the links for everything I just mentioned are included in the show notes. It has been a pleasure to have you here, and I thank you so much. I will see you again on the next episode.